Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Good morning. It is good to be with you and to worship him and to serve him. And we're glad that you're here this morning with us. You notice our, our, uh, our platform is a little bit of a mess. Our housekeepers didn't come in this weekend. But if you are thirsty anytime during the worship service, come up and have another cup of water if you would. And, and this mess is a, is a holy mess. Some messes are, are unholy, right? But this is a holy mess. This is a good mess that you're looking at. And we want to invite you up after the worship service to come and have a drink of water from our 20, filter, 20 liters water filter. And the water looked like this when it was poured in. And uh, it is very, very drinkable uh, now. And so come and enjoy that. And then come and take a look at uh, what we've got here, uh, these boxes of goodies. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about these in just a minute. Hey, we want you to grab your Bible, if you would. There's one in the rack in front of you, or should be. If you can't find one, just ask somebody around you. We're going to open up to the book of Acts, uh, page uh, 1100 in that Bible. And we're going we're gonna to look at, a, at, at the story of a woman whose Eng- the tr- English translation of her name is perhaps one of the worst names a person could have. In the, in the Bible. These parents do not name your daughter by this name. Her name comes across in the English as Dorcas. Dorcas, right? Could you imagine that girl in junior high? Uh, hey, Dorcas, you know. Uh, and, and her brother's name was Dork, by the way, if, if any of you were wondering. But she has this really weird English translated name. But it, honestly, it's not the weirdest uh, Bible name of all time. The weirdest, I think, the weirdest Bible name of all time. There are three different people in the in the New Testament who were who are named Dodo, and it might be pronounced Dodo. I'm not sure. It's D O D O. Three different people. I mean, what were their parents thinking? You know, to name their child this. But but Dorcas is an interesting person, and she's found here in the book of Acts. And and even though her English name is is odd, what we want to discover from Dorcas this morning is her incredibly generous heart. That she has had a heart transplant, and instead of keeping, she is she is a. She just gives and gives and gives. And in fact, in the whole community, everyone knew about Dorcas's open-handedness, her generosity, her lavish, um, uh, extravagant kind-heartedness. And so her story is, some of you are familiar with it. It's in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verse 36. So in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Now you just you can say, Gary, I, I told I thought you just told us her name was Dorcas. Well, her Aramaic name, the Aramaic translation of her name, was Tabitha. The Greek translation of her name, who uh, Luke is probably writing to more Greek uh, an audience here, and so he gives the the Greek translation, and I'm going to give you the English translation of her name. What it really means? It means gazelle, and I think the gazelle is one of the most beautiful 
animals, you know, when you go to the zoo or when you go on a safari. I wish they would have just called her that. It would have been a whole lot simpler, right? So she has this beautiful name, really, really she has this beautiful name to go along with this incredible spirit. And this scene that we're going to look at for just a few minutes, it takes place in Joppa. And Joppa is Jerusalem's seaport. It's about 38 miles west of Jerusalem. It's the closest seaport. And it's also, and that gives you a cue there, it's a seaport. And somebody famous took a ship from this city. And he was running away from something, right? And what was his name? His name was Jonah. And this is the port that he set sail in the opposite direction that God had had him go. It's modern-day Jaffa. Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A. It's a suburb of Tel Aviv uh, in these days. And so in this city of Joppa, ancient city of Joppa, there was a disciple. And that's what Paseo del Rey is about. Our, our, Our mission, our vision is to transform people into fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And it's a lifelong process. And so here we meet a disciple, someone who is in that process. She's not there. His work's not finished. Jesus is continuing to transform her just like he's continuing to transform you and me into fully devoted followers of Jesus. So in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. In English, we would we translated it to gazelle. And here's her description. She was always doing good and helping the poor. That's what she was known for. She wasn't known for the car she drove. She wasn't known for the clothes that she wears. She wasn't known for being the husband of so-and-so or the mother of so-and-so or the daughter of so-and-so. What Dorcas, Tabitha, Gazelle was known for. Underline it in your Bible there. This is an amazing... Uh, to be written in the Bible, this description of you, what a wonderful thing. She was always doing good and helping the poor. You know, you didn't have to look hard to find something good about Dorcas. It just shone forth. Um, uh, sometimes I do funerals for people that I don't know, and, and, and that's difficult to do that. I mean, I'll sit down with the family and I'll say, tell me something really neat about this person. Because I don't know them at all. Tell me something really neat. And it is so interesting. Sometimes they will sit around the table that we're sitting at. Something really good about this person? Mm. He was always late. Can you turn that into a sermon, Pastor Gary? Um, mm, mm. He liked bright colors. Now, what is it going to be like when people stand around at your funeral and at my funeral that people are going to say about us? I I hope a lot of people say at my funeral, he had the best sense of humor I have ever known in my life. Now, I know it's wishful thinking, but it's okay. I just want to put my one request in, okay? Um, What are they going to say? And not not only at your funeral, but what do people say about you now? What are you known for? What's the description that people would use for? I mean, wouldn't this be an awesome thing to be known for? There, right there in verse 36, she was all, he, was, he or she was always doing good and helping the poor. 
Now, this story, um, it, it begins to unfold because I need to tell you some sad news here, and that is that Dorcas dies in this story. And, and, and I, I appreciate that story, and we will explore that part of the story on another Sunday. It's not important to us today. And then even better, she not only dies... Well, that's not the better part. Uh, it gets better because Peter comes and he prays over her and she resuscitates. Now, again, that's not real important to me today. It was really important to Dorcas and her family that day. But I need to report to you that Dorcas eventually died uh, as well again. So, so um, and, and she's, we're going to get to meet up with her in heaven. But we're not going to concentrate on that story. But we're, I want you to jump down to verse 39. So Peter, he, he comes to Joppa, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where they had laid Dorcas's dead body. They washed her, and they laid her out on a table in the upstairs room. And all the widow look at this, all the widows stood around him crying. They missed her, right? They were grieving. And what were they doing? Showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made when she was still with them. You see that Dorcas didn't just do good. um, She didn't just pray for people. And that's really, really important to do. She didn't just send uh, nice emails or email cards and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Again, a very nice thing to do. She took meals to them. She, um, uh, she... she sewed fabric, perhaps, and made um, dresses and cloaks and hats and things that these widows, these people who had less than she did, would need. So it was the tangible, touchable, real ways that affected and made people's lives who had less, made their lives better and shown the love of Jesus Christ into their lives. So she gave up. This is what, this is what it means to, to be like Dorcas there in, in verse 36, to always be doing good and to be helping the poor. It means to give up what I could have kept. It means to spend on others what I could have spent on myself. April and I give electronically to the work of the church here, the work of the Lord through this through Paseo Del Rey Church. And every month that we then when we give, and and I put the the, the 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 number in there, and then I push that send button. It's hard to push that button for me, because I look at that that, that amount of money, that six dollars and eighty six cents that we're going to give that month. Are we up to eighty seven? We're up to eighty seven cents now. And when I push that button, I think of all the things that I could spend that on. Of all the, all, all the way that, that I could use that for myself or that I could buy something new for April or that we could buy for our kids or we could do for our family. Every single month I push that button. I just need to confess to you, that's a struggle for me because I'm choosing because Jesus has been so generous to me and given up all for me, I'm choosing to let Jesus live inside of me and to give to others what I could have kept for myself. And that's what Dorcas, this Dorcas heart, this Dorcas spirit was, was all about, was this giving up of what she could have kept for herself. No one, no one could have said anything. She could have legitimately kept it all herself, but she was choosing to give it away so that her whole life and all of history since the first century, when anyone remembers Dorcas, they don't remember Dork. They remember what she was known for, of always doing good deeds and giving to the poor. Well, that's Christ, isn't it? 
That's Christ-likeness, living in Dorcas's life. There's a great verse in 1 Timothy that I want us to, I put this up on the screen. We don't normally put verses on the screen, but I, but I wanted to put this one up here. So Paul says in 1 Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Okay, let's just have a little reality check here. Everyone in the church, please raise your hand. Everyone in, your, in the church, it's, it's okay, it's safe right now, right? Don't have to raise two hands, okay? Just one hand. This verse is talking about us, every single one of us, right? This is who Paul is addressing here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant about their wealth, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, right? It is here today and gone tomorrow. Um, I mean, just watch the stock market. These next four years are going to be a real interesting ride in the stock market, right? Don't put your, help or your hope in the, in, in the, in, in the riches, in, in our status, in, in who we are in this world. But instead, put your hope in God who, look at the words, I love this, wealth, who richly provides us with everything, everything that we need, not everything we desire, for our enjoyment. Now watch how the verse goes on. Command them, raise your hand back up again, okay? Because this is for me and this is for you. Command Gary then to do good with those riches that God gives us, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, you're going to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. You see what Paul says? He says, be like Dorcas, who is being like Christ. It's to be, have this open-handedness to be known as being rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing. Now, we don't want to do good deeds or be rich and give so that we gain brownie points with God. That does not work. That is not how God's economy works. Um, we're bankrupt, and it's only as He blesses us that we are allowed uh, or are we free to give to others. But this, uh, this whole idea of being generous and being rich in good deeds, we saw it again at Paseo Del Rey Church yesterday. Uh, uh, this just blew me away yesterday. Uh, let's just give this a big hand. 175 people came out to help us build water filters yesterday. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't, isn't that great? Now, if you weren't here yesterday, this is not a guilt trip because you had other things to do. And we, we get that. We understand it. And this is not the first time, nor will it be the last time that we are rich in good deeds. But so uh, 175 people. I was hoping for about 60 to come. And Bob and Mackie were hoping for about 20 to come because it's a lot more manageable of a task to do. And so we were just kind of all overwhelmed. And so we put together 200, uh, the insides of these filters yesterday here at Paseo Del Rey Church. It was awesome. And what people were doing yesterday was they were giving up three or four hours that they could have spent on themselves. Probably all, everyone that came had something better to do or something, uh, something else that they could have done yesterday. But they chose and worked into their schedule to be able to come and to help us. In just a little bit, we're going to ask, we're going to do a special offering for, to help pay for all of the supplies that go into all of these 200 filters and, and even more. And we're going to ask you to give something that you could have kept for yourself. That's what Dorcas did. To, to, to love, um, to, to be rich in good deeds. And we made fil- we put filters together and put funnels together to backwash. And, 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 and I had really gone all out. We bought four dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. 
expecting about 38 people. So, so the staff took them, and we ate all of them because we just didn't want to have a big fight, uh, you know, out on the out on the yard there. It was awesome, and 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 so so that was ye- this last that was yesterday, and today we've got all come up and take a look at them after church, if you would, and then next Sunday we're going to start. Another, we're going to begin with trolley trestles in caring and loving and being sacrificial toward these, these young people right here in Chula Vista. These are going to Rwanda. And next week, we're going to start talking about some young people who have aged out of the foster care system. They're not in foster care anymore. And they're, they, 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 they really need some direction and some hope right here in Chula Vista. And we're going to, we've got a great project that we're going to be involved in. It's being generous. It's being open-handed. It's being the hands and feet of Jesus. So how did this how does this happen? How does in how did in Dorcas's life how did this happen? And how does it happen in our lives? Because we want to always avoid doing things to try to make up something to God, to try to climb a ladder to God. So how does this happen? Well, it happens as the gospel of Jesus Christ gets inside of us. And we understand and experience and feel what Jesus has done for us. And then he does it right through us. And I think a verse that really has helped me with that in my life is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Let's read it together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so God sends his Son from heaven, from the riches and the glory, the wealth of heaven, and his Son comes down to earth, and he pours himself out. He becomes poor. He becomes an embryo inside of a teenage girl and a little, little spurt of dry land if we call today Israel. And he's born and he's a, he's a baby and he's dependent and he, he's messy and, 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 he, and he grows up and he grows up and he gives his whole life. Paul talks about how he emptied himself out for us. He who was rich became poor so that we might have his riches, and then we might pour those right back out. This is how this happens in our lives. Is God's, it's Christ's kindness to us. It's Christ's kindness to us, so that Christ's kindness can flow through us. And that's what was happening in Dorcas's life, I know. Is that she had experienced the riches of Christ in her life, and what she wanted to do is just to give them away because there's no end. It's not like you just get a quart of Jesus' righteousness. He just keeps pouring it in and in and in and in, and so we can just keep pouring it out and out and out to those that are less fortunate around us. And her kindness came from Christ's kindness to her. Now, I want to sh- we want to share with you a really cool video. Let's take a look at this video. It's called An Act of Kindness, and it's all about 20 liters and about about how Christ poured himself out for us so that we can pour out ourselves to others. My name is Alphonse. I'm a water volunteer with 20 liters. I met Thierry and his family on a route home visit in Gahanga. Thierry faced health problems like I'd never seen. He was born with his intestines outside his body. A doctor told Thierry's mother she had to buy clean water daily. That's when Thierry's mother came to me, desperate for a filter. However, at the time, all available 20 liters filters 
had been distributed in our area. So I did what I had to do. I gave her my own filter. They were so thankful, thrilled to have a filter of their own. To them, it was an act of kindness, but to me, I was just doing my duty, getting clean water to those who need it most. But my duty went beyond that. I went to local churches advocating for Thierry's medical treatment. It wasn't easy to accomplish, but Thierry would eventually undergo two operations. After the successful surgeries, Thierry said that he's dreaming of becoming a children's doctor so that he can bring healing to kids who suffer with different health problems. Many people need clean water, almost too many to count. I've seen the benefit of clean water, the door it opens for many other opportunities to happen. I've seen it happen for this seven-year-old boy, which pushes me to see it happen for everyone else. experience Christ's rich kindness to us. We can't keep it inside, can we? And it begins to flow out through us. And we've been part of that these last four or five weeks as we've talked about 20 leaders. And I want you to give a really big Chula Vista. Paseo Del Rey welcome to Bob and Mackie Johnson. Uh, come on up, Bob and Mackie. Yahoo. <laughs> there you go. Hello, Bob. How are you? Bob and Mackie are the founders of 20 Leaders, and Bob is the engineer that designed uh, the several water filters, but the water filter that we're using. And so God has just used them in amazing ways. And you guys are from near Grand Rapids, Michigan, the name of the town you're from. And, and you're, tell us about your church. Um, we are actually from our home is in Jenison. Our church is in a little, it's like suburbia, smaller than here, but like it, uh, is in Granville, Michigan. Our, the name of our church is Mars Hill. It is the eastern Mars Hill, not the western Mars Hill. <laughs> and uh, it's a large church. And um, they have, um, we worship sometimes about 3,000 people. A lot of different ministries, but they were so gracious to us when we got called by God in an unusual and unexpected way to start working in Rwanda and gave us unusual gifts of uh, compassion and ideas. Um, and they came behind us, and now we are our own independent organization, and they are encouraging us to come out and share our story. And our first story for churches is your church. <laughs> this is the very first time that we've done a remote filter build. It's the very first partnership that we've had with another church. And we are so excited. And Mars Hill is so excited. And so we send our greetings um, for the church. And we have pictures to share with them and story to share with them. And they are just so thankful that you are welcoming us. And please send our greetings back to them and we thank will. them for um, loaning you folks to us this weekend and, and yeah. all that God's doing. On Wednesday, we have a really fun experience because um, the country director that we work under in World Relief 
uh, is going to be in Grand Rapids, and we're having lunch with him. So Moses mm-hmm. is going to be there. Show Moses hi. And course. so we're going to send Moses your greetings yeah. and also tell him the story of this weekend, yeah. and he'll be excited. And, and Moses is a good friend of mine as well. I, I met these two first in Rwanda. Um, and uh, really discovering about their ministry, and it's been exciting. And, Bob, um, you have four grown kids, right? I Yes, I do. Four grown ones and 12 grandchildren. All right. Nine boys and three girls, and Christmas is a riot. (laughs) (laughs) What are the the ages of the grandkids again? Um, 14 to 2. Oh, boy, that is a lively place, huh? Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Um, so tell us a little bit maybe about how God gave you a vision for clean water among these very, very poor and very, very vulnerable and very, very oftentimes kind of living with chronic diarrhea and medical issues. So did God, God like one that give you a vision and say, go and make clean water for these people? Uh, no, I, I, my first experience with clean water was when I was in Vietnam. I was a, a dispatcher for a motor pool. And one of the, uh, the duties was that every, every week we were supplying water to an orphanage uh, in, the, in Aurora area. And so I, I rode along with them uh, a couple of times and went out to that village and saw, you know, the, really my first experience. It was a third world country, uh, a country that, you know, was extremely poor, um, and the water was, was terribly lacking, but the need for it was just so great. And then nothing happened in there for many years, but then our, our church formed a water interest group. I joined that. Somehow I became the president of it, and then, <laughs> then we made our first trip to Rwanda, and things just grew from there. Hmm. Interesting how God sometimes works over a long period of years and through who would have thought the Vietnam War would have been part of what spurred this whole movement on. So watching and listening for God's spirit to work. It, it is. It's just leaving yourself open for it. It's, it's just um, not fighting the spirit when you, you feel the spirit telling you there's something you need to do, but going ahead and listening to it and doing it. That's cool. And, Mac, you probably wanted to be a missionary your whole life, and so that's why you ended up in Africa. Tell us a little bit about how God did that. Oh, I really wanted to be a missionary, Gary. (laughs) Actually, when I was about 10 years old, the missionaries were coming to our church, and we had an option. We could either make a, a poster or we could make a scrapbook. And I decided I would be an overachiever, and I would make the scrapbook. And I sat downstairs, and I cut up magazines and pasted things together. And after a few days, I finally got my little yellow poster board cover, and I put the word missionaries on an angle coming down so it looked really cool. And then I had black electrician's tape on the side to keep it all together. I mean, it was, that was the best scrapbook. <laughs> and I went upstairs, and I said to my mom, I hate Africa, and I will never go there, and I never want to be a missionary. (laughs) And I still don't consider myself truly a missionary, but um, for 45 years after that, I stayed away from anything that had to do with missions. 
I have been a teacher in the church for 45 years at all different kinds of levels. But my heart was just never there, not in the mission field. So how many times have you been in Africa then? 20. (laughs) (laughs) God... God's spirit blows wherever he wants to blow, doesn't he? I know, and it comes in unexpected times and unexpected places. Um, She didn't necessarily go willing the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, you know, let's let's talk talk about about that, that about how maybe some bumps along the way, because this isn't just a silk smoothie road when you follow the spirit. No, it isn't, and it's not easy. Um, I did go the first trip that Bob went. Bob has, over his lifetime, had some really pretty significant health issues. And as much as I didn't want to go, I loved him more than that, and I said, if you have to be medevaced out of that place, I'm going to be there with you and make sure you get home. And that was my really sole significant reason for going the very first time. And I had barriers up. From the minute that I got off that plane, I was going to hate Africa. (laughs) In fact, when I was there, I was probably four or five days into the trip. And if you look in my journal, it truly says this. I hate Africa. I didn't want to be there. And so I had a lot of walls. And what happened was one evening, we were out at a well. It was almost sunset, and the sun was coming off that, off the back of the well, and this lady was pregnant, very, very pregnant. She had a baby on her back, and she had a little girl, and the little girl that was with her, maybe, maybe four or five years old, She was there, and she was dressed, I think, in a Halloween costume that came from the United States in a mission box. She was dressed like a fairy, and she had little fairy wings on her back, and the sun would shine through there, and she was kind of dancing around. And the lady was struggling so hard to get the water out of the well. It's hard work. She came by me with her jerry can, and if any of you have lifted a jerry can of water, they're heavy. And it's really heavy and really difficult when you're pregnant or trying to hang on to a kid. You have a kid on your back. And she looked me straight in the eyes. And she was the first Rwandan woman who really looked me straight in the eyes. Or was it that it was the first Rwandan woman that I looked straight in the eyes? And when I did... My heart broke, and all the walls came tumbling down. Wow. Well, I think as Jesus looked you in the eyes, then you're able to look with those same loving eyes. Yeah. Thank you. Bob, how about for you? Maybe been a kind of a difficult on this journey with bringing clean water. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like everybody or people that care about other people is you like to give people what they need. And um, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again with the, the pastors is that there's, there's always more need than what we, we can supply. And um, that's, that's just really hard because you, you, you'd like to make it right for everybody. And so um, we're doing some things to 
try and, 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 and our church has always reached out to the most vulnerable. So we give the water filters go to the, very, the most vulnerable, the, the people that don't have, have any way an ability to get clean water or pay for it. But um, we're trying to work through a method to try and get um, where, where people that are a little bit better off can, can pay sort of on a sliding scale and be able to get a filter so they too can have clean water. But um, I'm so grateful today because when that container leaves in February, there won't be 2,400 filters on it. There'll be 2,600 filters, mm -hmm. and that's thanks to you, and I, I appreciate it very much. Bob, you had told me a story about when you went to visit some homes and just kind of the response of the, the, the moms, I think they were in those homes. And well, you know, my, my job when I get to Rwanda is working with the teams. It's teaching them about the filter and how to take care of the filter and how to put it together and, and all the, the technical parts of the, of the program. And Mackie mostly goes on home visits, checking on the filters and, and meeting with the people. And, and that's, you know, she's really good at that. I'm, you can probably tell that by us being up here. <laughs> but anyway, um, one morning I, we were in Mogo and I was able to go with, with her on home visits. And uh, we went out and we went to, to three different homes or three homes in a row. And this, it, was, it was remarkable because the same thing happened at every home. The, the mother of the house came out and said to me in almost the exact words in all three homes, thank you so much for this filter. I no longer have to bring my children to the clinic every month to have them dewormed. Mm. And that just, you know, and then she went, they went on to tell us how, how painful that is being filled with worms and, and, uh, and she was just so grateful for it. And then you realize that what you were doing was making a difference. Mm. It maybe wasn't doing everything that could be done, but at least it was making a difference mm. for someone. Mm. And, and Paseo, you're making that difference in 200 homes. This time, maybe next time it's 400, but so you're part of that. Wow. Well, and it would probably be more homes than that because it's, the yes. filters are shared. Yeah. Uh, we can't cover everything, and so uh, what will happen is someone will be given a home and they'll sign a contract, and part of their contract is is that they'll share the clean water that comes out of that. So most filters right now, uh, our ratio is one to three or one to four. We are hoping soon to be able to get it down to one to two, and eventually in the communities where we work, every family would have their own. That is cool. We've got a couple of pictures that you guys have taken, um, and let's just tell some stories about how, uh, as Bob did, tell us about this, uh, this, this, this group, group of, of ladies people? and kids. Yeah, this is a fun story. Um, like Bob said, I do the home visits. Part of home visiting is just to get collect story because they're so interesting. And this one was a beautiful one. The lady who is tall and looks younger, I was visiting her home doing a filter check. And her little boy is the one with the little cool eyes that are kind of <laughs> peaching out there. <laughs> I just love that kid. Anyway, we did the filter check, and we had prayed with them, and I had heard her story. And we were walking out, ready to leave, and these other three ladies, these older ones, came up with their grandchildren. <laughs> and they were women who were coming to share her filter. We had hoped that this would happen. Uh, Rwanda is a, uh, a broken country is because of the genocide. Relationships have been really, really, really traumatized. 
And these were women she did not know until she had gotten her filter. And now they're friends. Mm. And they come every day and they get water from, uh, from her filter. And sometimes when she can't get down to the river, they'll go down to the river for her and bring her water up. Mm. So it's just kind of a community that's formed around water. Mm. Well, that is really cool the, how God spreads it out. How about the next picture here? Yeah. This is Annika. Um, I came across Annika's house. I went to visit her and her filter. Those are her children who are in the back. She was sorting beans that day. They, what they do is they put the beans in the basket, and then they shake them, and then the chaff, which the wind drives away, like Psalm 1, and they then have beans to cook, and they have become a very staple part of our Rwandan diet including occasional stones in our teeth. But um, those, the Annika was sitting there, and we had done the filter check, and then I noticed that there were like four ladies, and they were sitting on a bench, a little narrow bench. And I um, said to her, I said, are these your friends, or are these, you know, your sisters? Who are, who is or who are those ladies? And she said, well, I didn't know them before because they lived up on the hill. But I signed the contract. And so I went around and let people know I had a filter. And so they came and they started sharing their filter, the water, with her. Well, along with our program of sharing water, we also share health and hygiene lessons. And these women started to really understand the importance of washing hands and having clean utensils for cooking food and boiling water before you cook food and all of that. And they said, you know, we need to go around the neighborhood and we need to start telling people they could be healthier if they just did those things, even if they don't have filtered water. So they did, and they did it for a while, probably a couple of months. And from what I can understand, that's what it was. And then one day they were sitting together and they said, you know, we're talking about the body, but what about the soul? And at that time they said, there's not a church nearby and we don't have a Bible study, but we could. And so what I walked into was a leaders meeting mm. that day. And they have a Bible study. They went through their neighborhoods. They went up into the hills. Mm. They found people that they didn't know. And now they are studying God's word together. Mm. So reconciliation and um, the message of God's word, we thought we were delivering water. But mm. the spirit blew in a whole different way. Mm. It's really Beautiful. Cool. Really cool. How about the next one? Bob knows that story. Well, when we started going to Rwanda, um, one of the things we were also doing is providing rainwater harvest systems, and we would typically put those on the churches. And I would bring a team of, you know, nice white guys along, and we would build three rainwater harvest systems in a two-week period, and the Rwandans would build the bases. And then the, the program began to expand, and I, you know, you realize there just was no way you were going to get enough teams of Americans over there to build rainwater harvest systems. So um, I brought a couple of the guys that were primary in that doing it, and we, they trained the Rwandans to do it. And so where before we were doing three systems a year, uh, the Rwandans are out there doing 13 and 14 systems mm -hmm. a year. And they're building in themselves, and they're built. I, I've been there to look at them and inspect them, and they're done just as well as any system that an American would have built. And so, um, we really feel like you're, we're handing this program over to them and empowering them to take care of themselves. Mm, that is really awesome. 
How about some pastors? Let's meet some pastors here. Uh, one of the, the really cool things that happens in Rwanda is we work through an organization called World Relief, but they work entirely with the local churches. And because, like us, they, they feel that the local church is the church that can, can best take care of the people in an area. And so these are all pastors from different churches. There's, there's Catholics there, there's Anglicans there, there's Baptists there and Methodists and uh, Peace Pentecostal. Pentecostals. Adiper, and um, but they all work together. They all they all lay aside their differences, and they say, you know, you know, they may believe some different things, but they can work for the good of their community, and they do. They're the ones that that pick the people that are going to get the filters because they're going after the most vulnerable. There's a pastor in the middle um, of that picture, the little kind of shorter guy with white and a briefcase. He's from the Friends Church, you know, the Friends Church Quakers. Um, and it's kind of fun with these pastors because they were all on board because they saw advantages of health and everything for their community. But they didn't realize that it was going to be part of their ministry because everything flows out of there. And the pastors have gotten really quite excited about going on home visits. And so all of our technicians visit every filter a minimum of four times. After it's placed, those um, technicians make sure that the people have total understanding of how to use it, how to maintain it, and how to share it well. And then along with that is also prayer and um, sharing the message. Um, as they, as the Spirit allows them to do that. Well, this pastor had been on a home visit with me, and we were walking down the pathway, and he said to me, you know, the filters are a hook. <laughs> and I said, they're a hook? And he says, yeah. He said, these people, they hear about the filters, and the only way they can get them is to be selected by a local church. And so um, they'll start coming to church to get on the list. And that's a good thing, but if that's the only reason to come to church, maybe not the best thing. But what happens is, he said, we hook them because once they start hearing the word and once they start experiencing that fellowship and once they have people to help care for themselves or care for them as they care for each other, they're hooked mm. and they become part of the body mm. and they are kingdom people mm. and they're brothers and sisters. Mm. And so we're okay with people hooking others. <laughs> no, I think we are called to do that, weren't yeah. we? Be fishers of men. While the pastors can say that is a hook, but the pastors also realize that we're, we are after the most vulnerable. And if some of the most vulnerable people in their community happen to be Muslims, that, that Muslim family will receive a filter just as well as anybody else. Absolutely. And I think we have one more picture here. Yeah. Bob? Uh, this is a great picture. Or this is well, not a great picture because I'm in it, but um, <laughs> our team is there. These are our three employees in Rwanda. They, they actually work for World Relief, but they, we pay their salaries. And in the red shirt is Didas. Uh, he started out as a driver. Um, he has a great ability. Um, in, in our world, he would have been a great engineer. 
Um, but he, uh, he leads the teams, he finds the people that are most qualified, and he keeps training them and keeps working with them. And so he's, le he's leading the, uh, the, the rainwater harvest teams. He's leading uh, all the technical teams rely upon him. Uh, Victor, who is in the plaid, blue plaid shirt, is the, um, the main contact. He oversees the program in Rwanda, uh, makes all the governmental contacts that are, are very numerous. I think every week he's meeting with some other, somebody else from the government. And then Charlotte, and she's the one that, that is the sort of rabble-rouser and, and gets, uh, gets the churches together and reminds them of what they need to be doing and just, just keeps the program rolling in the field. You know, uh, we've gotten to know Bob and uh, Mackie quite a bit this, this, these last four or five days that they've been here. And, and they are regular people. Uh, structural engineer, um, ran Bob's office, mom, grandma, and grandpa. They're, they're just like us, okay? And they just have said, we want to be open, Holy Spirit, to what you want to do in our lives. And it's, what's true for them is true for you. It's the same Holy Spirit. And we want to just say, let's be open to where God wants us to go. Uh, some of us are engineers. Some of us are gregarious. Some of us, some of us sew the things Dorcas made. Others keep track of the materials. But there's a place in this kingdom that God wants you to go. And don't miss it. Listen. Listen and pour out his riches to others. Let's give Bob and Mackie a big hand of, of thanks and appreciation for coming. Yeah.